0: right into the word. Let's go to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. We want to look at these last days according to Jesus. We just simply titled this looking into the future. Matthew 24. And I'll read the first four verses. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple. And his disciples came to him to show him the buildings of the temple, and Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, take heed that no man deceive you. If you're familiar with the content of this chapter, then you know you have to also read it along with Mark 13 and Luke 21. There's a lot of similarities that are there. In fact, when you read the three chapters together, verse by verse, then you can see the different emphases each one of them places on certain things that Jesus said. In fact, if you think about Luke, Luke is the one that spends a great deal of time talking about what happened in the temple that led up to this discussion. Mark alludes to it, but Luke talks about that widow woman that went in there and cast in two mites, two little pieces of money and Jesus, sitting in the treasury, watched as she did that and afterwards said to his disciples, this woman put in more money than all these rich people. And that teaches us that God pays attention not only to how we give, but he pays attention to what we give. He's interested in how we live our lives. We should not be hoarders and trying to hold on to what God provides to us, but we are to be good stewards of that. Well, of course, Mark then, in talking about this same chapter, says the disciples were with Jesus. They exited the temple, but he tells us something the other two don't tell us. He said, Jesus, notice how beautiful these stones are. So these Galileans, they obviously would have been excited to see this beautiful temple. Imagine the people that are over the age of 65 in this area. They go back and think about when they were a kid, how excited they were to be able to go to the big city, to see tall buildings, to be able to see homes that are stretched out for just one block after another. It was something that was fascinating to them. These people who were fishermen, rural villagers, They came down here and they marveled at it the first time. But even after they had been with Jesus on a number of occasions, when they exited the temple, they still were fascinated by the beauty of. Well, Matthew, of course, he gives us three questions in verse three. When shall these things be? What shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? luke and mark give us questions also but they do not give us these three questions but one question common to all three gospels is the question when shall these things be they were interested in that just like we are if you don't think people are interested in the future why do you think folks go to fortune tellers why do you think the secular world chases after things that can somehow influence the future in some way shape or Another form. But Jesus, in talking with these disciples, when he came out of that building, because he noticed that his disciples were actually marveling at this, he said, You're going to be surprised that one stone is not going to be left upon another. Now, that would have been a shocking statement because John chapter 2, verse 20, says that the temple had been 46 years in the building, more than four decades. The temple mount. In Jesus' time, under Herod's reign was about 36 acres in its dimensions, huge. And if you've ever been up there or seen a map of it, then you know it was a very big place. In one corner, there was a fortress where the Roman soldiers were housed and where the Sadducees' high priest kept his royal vestments, his holy vestments. and They guarded them. But in every wall, in every corner of the wall that surrounded that temple mount, there was a watchtower for people to observe and pay attention if an enemy was coming. But that temple was made of beautiful white stone. And you get glimpses of it if you've seen pictures of the Wailing Wall. But imagine in ancient times a rock that was so big, seven feet, ten feet tall, 10 feet, 15 feet wide, blocks of stone. I don't know how they moved it. It just seemed to me like as big a miracle as the building of the pyramids, but I do know that with all of that white rock up on top of that temple mount, if that sun was shining upon it, radiating upon it, then that whole temple mount would glisten from wherever you were in the valley region of Jerusalem. You would have been astonished at how pretty that place was. And here's Jesus telling them there's coming a day where you wouldn't even find one rock upon another. Well, it happened a few decades later. The Romans came in there and raised the whole area. By razed, I mean R-A-Z-E-D. They demolished that whole temple mount. But when Jesus made that statement, he then walked down the hill across the valley up to the Mount of Olives, the Mount of Anointing. And with his disciples privately coming to him, they had these three questions that you have here in verse 3. Now, Jesus begins to answer the first question in verse 4. And right around verse 29, he starts dealing with the second question. And when you get to chapter 25, about verse 31, he starts working on that final question. But Jesus said in verse 4, Don't let anybody deceive you. Now, this tells me. That in the last days preceding the tribulation period mentioned in verse 21, these events pressed right up against the period before the tribulation. There will be people who will deceive folks. And as you can see from verse four, the instrument that the devil is going to use is going to be man. Isn't that something that he's not talking about worrying about angels or false Angels of light, he said, take heed that no man deceive you, because if you can be deceived, there will be a human involved with doing it. There'll be somebody that'll proclaim something that's false. There'll be someone that'll say anything that'll contain a seedling of truth in it. And that seedling in your mind will then begin to flourish and you'll follow in that particular direction. Jesus said, pay attention that you're not deceived. Have you ever been deceived before? Have you ever bought into something that wasn't true? I know that deception is a powerful thing, and people are easily taken in. Look at how many different elderly people pick the phone up every day, and on the other line, there's someone who says, your grandson is in jail. And if you give $3,000, that'll help post his bond. And One older person after another falls for that. Think of the number of people who when they're driving down the road sometime a little kid four or five years old to come out of the woods and wander out into the streets and then somebody will stop the car to see what's going on and then when they stop to check on the little kid then out of the woods come some adults that rob them take the car i had a bank president in one of these small towns tell me one time here not too long ago he said pastor you'd be surprised at the number of farmer's wives that come into our bank and remove anywhere from 10, 15, 20, $30,000. And then are walking out of the bank and then the cashier come tell me so and so just came here, took out all this money because somebody called him on the telephone and told him that they needed this. And then the president has to run down the alley just to try to catch these people. Think of that. Take heed that nobody, deceives you this tells us in verse 4 that there are people who will make a profit make a business out of deceiving people then he tells us a little bit more Explicitly in verse 5, how many will come in my name saying, I'm Christ, and shall deceive many. Now, notice in verse 5, the word many, the last word of that verse, and then come down to verse 10, 11, and 12, you see the word many over and over again. So, in the last days, you can expect these things. Not a few people, not a handful of people, not several people, but many will say, I'm Christ. Israel has a special facility for people who show up there walking the streets of Jerusalem and other towns, telling people that they're the Messiah that's come. They lock them up. If you don't think anybody believes that they're the Christ or the anointed one and here to serve uh, the, the, the pleasures of God on planet Earth, if you don't believe it, then why do you think the folks in Waco died chasing and following David Koresh? A lot of them died. Jim Jones, people are always surprised when they watch that documentary and see how many people drank the Kool-Aid with the cyanide or whatever was in there and then they all died and you go and you see the pictures of just bodies sprawled out everywhere, they were deceived and they believed this man was a messianic figure. They were charmed, there was some kind of devilish anointing upon him (laughs) that led people to believe. He was of God. Now, I do believe it's possible for a person to begin with God, then lose out with God, but yet continue to use God's name, and then go so far from God that they're in utter deception. I believe that. And when it says here in verse 5, "Then shall deceive many, that means there will be a lot of people who buy into these things and... They can't tell the difference between what's right and what's wrong. Now, he then explains to us this whole thing with Christ. And I'll go so far as to say something else about deception. About 10 years ago, there was a Harvard Divinity professor named Karen King who published a papyrus fragment that had the words in it, Jesus said, then three dots, which means there were some words there that nobody could reconstruct. And then the next phrase said, my wife. So she believed that she had a fragment from ancient times that demonstrated that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were incorrect, that Jesus really was married and that Matthew, Mark, and John and everybody just kind of made it up. But in that same university, there was another Greek professor, a guy named Christopher Jones. And he demonstrated that it was a forgery. But what surprised me was the number of articles in academic journals that sided with the lady and believed the Bible is wrong. And I wonder how many people lost their souls and still believe in what that divinity professor wrote. We could have saved them all a lot of trouble by telling them that Jesus does have a bride and the bride is the church. We could have saved them a lot of trouble by letting them know that there is going to be a marriage. It's a marriage supper of the Lamb, and we're all invited to believe in him. But The Bible is clear. Many shall come in my name saying I'm Christ. If there's a false Christ, then there's a false gospel that preaches at Christ. There's a false preacher that preaches a false gospel. There's a false form of salvation, which means there's a false way of conversion. All of that. If you just read 1 Corinthians eleven, you can see where Paul says, even if an angel from heaven comes with any other gospel, don't receive it. You say, Pastor, do you honestly believe that people today proclaim a false gospel? You betcha. There are a whole lot of them that do. Do you honestly believe, Pastor, that there's a Jesus proclaimed from pulpit that doesn't represent the Jesus that's in this Bible? Absolutely. Yeah, they minimize who he is. They maximize things that don't have anything to do with truth. And Jesus, knowing this, says you can expect this in the last days. There are going to be multitudes of people coming forth saying, I'm anointed. I have the blessing of God on my life. Follow me. (laughs) Better be careful. Yeah. Scripture says in 2 Thessalonians, there'll be people coming and the devil will be helping them with lying signs and wonders and delusions and the Lord said in the Old Testament if someone comes to you in my name and they do miracles and those miracles occur in front of you or they prophesy and the prophecy comes to pass but yet they then mislead you and take you further from me he said know that I've sent them to test you you better listen to what people are saying watch how people are living and pay attention to what people are teaching. Now, verse 6 is interesting because he talks about wars and rumors of wars. Two things there. There's the talk of conflict. Then there's the actual conflict. Well, what's the history of warfare? What's the history of battles and conflict? It goes all the way back to Adam and Eve's two sons, Cain and Abel. Cain didn't like Abel. So he took him out in the field one day and as they were walking, he rose up and murdered his own brother, shed the blood of his own brother. As far as we know from the scripture, that's the first time human blood had been shed. The first time blood had been seen. This man murdered his own kin. If two people get into a conflict, we call it a fight. If you have several families that get into it with one another, we call it a feud. But if you involve politicians and put armies on either side, then we call it a war when in point of fact, all of them are the same opposing opinions. A little kid that's in school being bullied out on the schoolyard who decides to stand up against the bully that's pushing them around. You can call it a fight. You can call it a battle. You can call it a conflict. As far as a little kid is concerned, he's going to war to stop that individual from bullying them. So from a scriptural standpoint, Jesus said you can expect opposing voices, opposing views, opposing opinions, and there will be people going to wage war over what they believe is correct. And there'll be people even talking about it, the rumors of war. Why do you think Putin is in Ukraine? He thinks he has a right to be there. Why do you think there are rumors and and there's talk about China going into Taiwan? prophecies of Christ. Why in the world do you think that Saddam Hussein went into Kuwait? He said, Kuwait initially belonged to us. They don't have a right to be free. Same language that Putin said, said Ukraine isn't even a country. See, that kind of talk. And when people start sending those signals, those are rumors of war. Jesus said, see that you don't be troubled. Now that is to tell us that War is a troubling event, and if you can be troubled and shaken in your faith, you probably will with war, because you see some horrific things. Not too long ago, last week or two weeks ago, I had to speak at a Veterans Day event, and in Webster County, I think there's only two World War II vets left, but at the meeting where I was after I spoke, I was talking about Vietnam vets and how badly they were treated when they came back, and all of that, how they were spat on and cursed and slandered. that old man, probably in his 90s, stood up and talked a little bit about World War II and when he landed and what he saw. He said, "It's hard to explain cities that have just been destroyed and blown up, blown to pieces. But there are plenty of people who've seen the horrors of war and walked away from the Lord. Yeah, not just natural warfare, even spiritual warfare. Now we all are familiar with the name Billy Graham. Billy Graham used to be a popular preacher in his youth with the Youth for Christ mission in his 20s. And Billy Graham was a very, very useful vessel for that organization, but another gentleman slightly older than him was Charles Templeton, great preacher, probably just as good a preacher as Mr. Graham. Well, Charles Templeton started reading some literature that led him to believe that this book was no longer, or I should say this book really wasn't, infallible, inspired, inerrant. Wasn't sure that it wasn't filled with legends and myths and tales. He wanted to further his education, so he tried to talk Billy Graham into going to Princeton Seminary with him, which at that time was a (laughs) liberal-leaning seminary, and people who went there oftentimes came out with very little faith and so Billy said I'm not going I'll preach the book I'll just keep saying the Bible says that's my authority and I see God moving in our meetings when I say the Bible says and conviction comes on people Charles Templeton went to the seminary graduated when he when he exited the seminary he only had a sliver of faith left but World War II came and back during that time in order to (coughs) kind of illustrate the war effort to the citizens of america if you went to a theater then you could see film clippings before the movie of images of soldiers landing or soldiers fighting overseas so a lot of citizens went to the theater because they wanted to see what was going on and they did see but the holocaust occurred and when that was over they showed those pictures piles stacks of bones and the remains of kids, men, and elderly people. And Charles Templeton went to the theater one day and saw all of that, and the horror of it caused him to believe there's no way there can be a God that will let all of this go on on this planet. He lost his faith, totally. Walked away from God. Towards the end of his life, he even wrote a book called Farewell to God, and died an atheist. Can you imagine what must have happened on the other side of his last breath and what's happening right now? Jesus said in verse six, don't be disturbed or troubled by these wars. Now he told us in John 14 verse 27 that I have peace. I'm leaving my peace with you. I'm giving you peace. That's unlike anything the world can give you. And with this peace you can be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. You know what he's saying? There have been wars forever, but you still can have faith in God. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. There were wars in the Old Testament. People were battling and fighting during the time Jesus was here on planet Earth. And there have been wars and battles even right now. This is why we should keep our faith in God. It's ugly what happened in Rwanda between the tribes. Thousands of people died. Harry Jackson, good friend of mine. He's preached in his pulpit. I don't know how many times he told me, he said, "Darrell, I went to Rwanda. They took me on a tour. They said, we want to take you into some of our churches and show you what everything was like during that war. Now these were, uh, streets that were filled with dirt, rocks, gravel, they didn't have paved roads. And he said he was walking one night. They went into the church and he said when he got into the church, he's walking around and all this crunching and stuff is going on. And he said, finally, when they lit a candle, he realized he wasn't walking on gravel. He was walking on bones. He said the people would run into the church, fleeing the folks with the machetes, believing that the church building itself would divinely protect them. And then the other tribesmen would come in and hack them to death. You see people today that are still maimed yet now in their middle age. Think of the war over in Europe, Bosnia Herzegovina, how many people walked away from God because of that wickedness. You shall hear of wars. We'll hear about them in other locations. We'll hear about them in faraway places and nearby locations. We'll hear talk of war. But he says for us, don't be troubled. Don't be troubled. He said these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Well, the folks in the middle of the war, they probably think it's the end of their world, the end of their life. But Jesus said the end is not yet. And then he continues. He continues. Nation arise against nation. We understand that the Greek word here for nation is ethnos, which is where we get the word ethnicity. And you realize as well as I do, all of us are different. You're Caucasian, I'm black. Some are Asian, some Hispanic, some Native American Indian, some are Indian as in Eastern Indian. Some people have a a different kind of background, whatever it is, a different ethnicity. But the scripture here says nation will rise against nation. Who would have thought that we would see so many seeds of division sown in our own nation where people don't like each other just because of the color of their skin, where our kids are being educated to believe if you're white, you're privileged, you should feel guilty because of the color of your skin. And if you're black, you're a victim and you should go through life feeling like a victim. Yeah. And if you're Hispanic, you should be angry at everybody because everybody's treating you bad too. If you're Asian, people don't like you because you get good grades in school. All of this, you're stealing the scholarships of other people. There's always something sown in the hearts of others to cause them to look at other people and either be afraid of them or to be angry with them. The pastor's told you this a hundred times. I've never been a slave. You've never owned one. Let's march along from here. Why waste our time trying to cause one ethnicity to rise up against another? Then kingdom against kingdom. What's a kingdom? A shorter, a little two-syllable word that expresses a domain that's under the influence of a king, a ruler, a sphere of influence, with a monarch that's in charge. But a kingdom doesn't have to be something with a royal figure. It just has to be an area that's dominated by a strong personality and with a belief. And when that belief comes into conflict with another belief, you've got one kingdom coming in conflict with another kingdom. Yeah. And this is why the Bible says one day the kingdoms of this world will become kingdoms of our God. So the culture today is a form of kingdom. It's a secular kingdom, but it's unlike anything under the rule and reign of God. And when our little kids are taught to be confused about who they are and their gender. That's because there's a kingdom mindset that's trying to produce this confusion. When young people are encouraged to see anything biblical as wrong, That's a kingdom mindset that comes from a secular world. But for we, for us that are Christian, then we go out of our way to resist the thinking of that secular kingdom by producing the word of God. And the scripture says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When kingdoms come in conflict, the best way to fight it is by washing and renewing our mind with the word of God. This is why Christians cannot be politically correct. That is not our calling. We are called to declare the truth. But the culture today is so different. So Jesus said in the last days there will be these things. There will be famines, lack of food, shortages of food, pestilences, various diseases and other distressing events, earthquakes in divers places i'm sure there are earthquakes taking place around the world that we don't always hear about immediately There are usually tremors that take place you got seismologists that'll tell you there was a tremor in such and such place because they record it but in ancient times there were no records of it these stories would go around and people would realize this happened over here 10 years ago and people would learn that a loved one had passed away i've never been in a terribly When I have been in one in California that was strong enough to shake a few things off of the shelves. However, when I lived in Istanbul, Turkey, in eastern Turkey by Iran, they had an earthquake where at least 20,000 people died in less than three minutes. Now, that's hard to believe. A shaking, the earth opens, and thousands of people disappear and die just like that but these kinds of things have been happening in the history of this world for a very long time what makes it different now is we can get a camera there and see things sometimes as they are occurring and if you can't see when it's happening you have people there minutes later that'll be able to show you the after effects of it jesus said earthquakes in different places how shocking would it be if we had one out here yeah How shocking would it be if we had one on the East Coast in Tennessee, places where you don't normally have them? Scripture says the whole earth groans and travails till the sons of God are fully manifested. One day we who are the children of God truly are going to receive glorified bodies as we expect to have. But notice verse 8, Jesus said all of these things are just the beginning of sorrows, griefs, and concerns. Just the beginning. The initial phase of it. And again, I remind you that all of these events are pushing right up against verse 21 when the tribulation period is going to take place. Every generation has had false messiahs deception and wars and rumors of wars. But Jesus said in verse 9, they'll deliver you to be afflicted. They'll kill you. You'll be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Jesus said also, don't be surprised if they hate you. They hated me. Now, understanding that really ought to change a little bit of how you interact with people, because you realize that it's really not you that people don't like. It's the fact that you're a Christian. It's not always the color of your skin. It's just you're a Christian. It's not always your economic status or where you live, what you drive. Sometimes people just don't like you because you love God and they know you love God. And if you listen to what some people will say on television sometimes when they talk about conservatives and things like that, very often they're really referring to Christians, even if they don't know how to distinguish between the two, because you can be conservative and not be a Christian. But in their minds, someone who is conservatively minded must love God, believe this book literally and expect the king to return one day. That's me. I'm guilty. But understand, Jesus said they would deliver you to be tortured and they'll kill you. And hated of all nations, more than 200 nations on the planet. There might have been a time in the history of Western civilization where to be a Christian was a popular thing. It's Not so popular today. If you're a Christian in Europe, you're a dying breed. If you're a Christian here in the United States of America, if you're in a good area with some people that love you, that's great. But if you're in a big city where folks really hate God and are totally opposed to the things of scripture, they look at you as if you're somebody from another planet and they talk about Christians as such. And this is why when all of the pandemic and so many of these other things were going on, the conflict was about whether or not We ought to shut down these churches. These churches got too much influence There are too many thousands of people to go to these churches. And if you let people go to these churches, then these preachers are going to talk to them. And if the preachers talk to them, then they're going to gather together and they're going to resist our mentality. They're going to resist the things that we're saying. So we've got to close them down, not because they're citizens, but because they have a relationship to Christ. Everything about Christ stood up to what was evil. You see, So the Lord said in verse 10, there'll be plenty of people that'll be offended and betray one another and hate one another. We have today a nation, and this goes for other Western countries and and some other countries, but we have a, a nation today that's doing everything they can to get rid of anything or any word or anyone that'll cause an offense. They don't want anybody to be offended. They don't want language that will offend people. I I used to tease, when, when back when Tiff used to work at at Head Start, she'd come home and tell me some of the things that they were not able to say to the kids. And I'd always laugh, you know, little little simple things back then, which if if a kid jumped up on the table and started jumping and pounding and yelling and screaming and throwing a tantrum, then you know, quite naturally, the way you or your parents would have handled that. You'd have just said, get off that table, you knothead. You can't use that kind of language. So you have to say things like this, we keep our feet on the floor. Now my mom would have laughed at that after she knocked me upside the head and said, I told you to get down from there. But we're creating a culture that is non-offensive. And this is why people today don't want you to say pedophile. Minor, attracted people. They don't want you to use anything that's offensive that causes any kind of negative stigma upon anybody. And if you do, then they, what they call, they cancel you. They just don't want anybody to talk to you, anybody to follow you. A little area in California, in Los Angeles, called Hollywood is so influential. Movies, productions, music. And out of that place has come a culture that's so vile in many ways that they don't want you to say anything is wrong. They don't even want you to say anything is right. They just want you to say everything is tolerable. So everything from open marriages to gross perversion in sexual relations between same-gender people. All of this comes out of such a very small world, and think about how influential it is because you can hardly watch a commercial on television or hear something on the radio that doesn't have all of that in there. Yeah, Just in in a very slight way. They insinuate it, and then they place it in there, and then people see these images, and they want people to think, It's everywhere and everybody believes it. Well, everybody doesn't believe it because I don't believe it. And there are a whole lot of people don't accept it and still reject it. But if you say you don't believe in it, then people are offended. How dare you offend me? Well, I do know this about the gospel. There is something called the offense of the cross. And the cross deals with self-denial. The cross acknowledges the presence of sin and the presence of sinners. And if any kind of a gospel doesn't say to me, you have to deny self, then I call it a false gospel. Any gospel that doesn't lift Jesus high and then point sin to the cross so that it needs to be dealt with there, I call it a false gospel. Anybody that says you can live any way that you want and God is pleased. I say that's a false gospel. And Anybody who follows that follows a false Christ. So they'll betray one another in their offense. A good friend of mine who lived up in Canada had recently moved to America and I asked, why did you move? She said, because my husband, who's a teacher, he made a statement to a kid and the teacher's union or whoever basically suspended him because of a regular normal statement anybody would have made about right and wrong they suspended him but she said what really put us over the edge was during the pandemic they said you can't have anybody in your house other than the people that legally reside there that means your kids can't come your cousins your grandkids can't come and she said when I saw neighbors on our street turning in their own relatives and their neighbors we knew it was time to move see people were trying to get together and have some Bible studies because the nation was shut down they wouldn't let people go to church Jesus said in Matthew 24 they shall betray one another and shall hate one another who would have ever thought family members would turn on family members during some kind of a crisis. I'll finish with this. He says in verse 11, there'll be many false prophets. That means false predictions, false declarations. So they'll emerge and they'll deceive a whole lot of people because there always are folks clamoring after people who can prophetically declare this or that and out of that the consequence of 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 that kind of a situation will be verse 12 iniquity shall abound and the love of many will wax cold people become totally indifferent towards God towards one another towards religion wax cold like a corpse that dies no sentiment no feeling at all they won't care and when it says iniquity shall abound I honestly believe that in these last days, we have yet to see the the things that have come out of a depraved mind. That is to say, I, I, I think there are, there are murders, there are things that are going to take place that are not occurring right now. There are sins taking place today that didn't take place 50 years ago. Yeah. And there are things that were happening 50 years ago that weren't taking place a thousand years ago. You say, was that possible? Because in, in many ways we didn't have the technology. Have, have you ever considered that that, that that kids today can take pictures of themselves and send them to one another over the telephone? And, and they're not even good pictures, nice pictures. And when this stuff started, the, the people in law enforcement couldn't even do anything because it wasn't against the law to do it. In Germany, not too long ago, maybe about eight or nine years ago now, because I've mentioned it before, there was a lady on the Internet who advertised somebody to come film her killing herself. She did, but they didn't have a law in Germany against killing yourself on lying. Think of that. Iniquity shall abound. Now, there is a cure for verse 12. There's an antidote for verse 12, and it's Romans 5.20. where sin doth abound. Grace does much more about. So when you think of how grace conquered your soul, then despite everything Jesus said in these previous verses, you can still have revival somewhere and lives can be changed. If God can save a little kid like me, who first went to jail, when he's about Janessa's age, then God can save anybody. Yeah. Poor little hands and wrists were too small to keep the little handcuffs on there. So they said, just keep your hands together as you're walking out. Keep your hands together. And sure enough, I walked walked on out, and my brothers and them were out there laughing at me. All the laughter stopped when I got home. My dad was a cop, and I mean, I, I wish somebody would have went on and shot me before I got home, because when he was done with me, I wished I was gone, you know, but... Yeah, I was, I was a bad kid, you know, mischievous. There, there's a reason the older boys who were my brother's friends named me Heathcliff when I was a kid. Always in trouble, you know, just like that little cat in the cartoons, always in trouble. But the grace of God conquered my life and brought me to a saving knowledge of who he is. And when you tell your story and I tell my story, there's always somebody that can relate somewhat to something you're saying. Now you may not have had the bad life, bad stories and things like that, that others of us in here have had in the past, but I can promise you, your testimony, your story will resonate with somebody else. Cause there still are people in this world who have been pretty good all their life, but still were self-righteous, didn't know God, but where sin abounds, Grace does much more abound. So that tells me that in these last days with the rise of all of this, I'm expecting to see a harvest of souls. And a lot of people come to God. And since Paul uses the phrase much more abound, I'm looking to see God do much greater things than what we're seeing come out of the kingdom of darkness. So, folks, don't be discouraged. Just just walk with the king. Share your testimony. Witness. Tell folks about the Lord. And let's expect God to do wonderful things in these last days. Amen? amen he's gonna do it because all of us in here are trophies of his grace and it makes me happy and does my heart glad when i walk in and see you because it puts a smile on my face i realize when i come in here i look on the front row then i look on the back row and i say to my lord oh father if you can save kathy and tina there's hope for anybody amen and father if you can reach down in mississippi and find a little sinner like my wife was you can save her i'm telling you there's hope for Jericho. amen i'm telling you praise god come on let's stand let's stand we love you folks we tease we tease because a merry heart does good like medicine and he that has a merry heart has a continual feast and we thank god for smiles and laughter even in a world where there's so many bad things happening our king told us in that verse let not your heart be troubled yeah don't backslide folks don't be discouraged father in the name of jesus as we meditate on these scriptures throughout the week i pray that when something comes to mind that you'd bring a smile to our face reminding us about how powerful your grace is Father, thank you for this congregation. Thank you for people that love you. Thank you for people that gather faithfully on a Sunday to conclude the Lord's Day in fellowship. And I pray, God, as we continue to grow in grace and in knowledge that you'd grow us spiritually, numerically, grow us all financially. Let your hand be upon us in such a way that we would grow in boldness to declare who you are to us. And to this world. So as we depart from this place. But never from your presence. Be with us all again. Till we gather once more. In Jesus name. And everyone said. Amen. 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 Let's.